Today's program was brought to you by Blueprint, the original juice cleanse program to offer different levels of intensity depending on your needs and current diet. For more information, visit Blueprint.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, welcome to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today we're coming to you live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You can listen to the show live every Thursday at 11 on heritageradionetwork.org or download the podcast on iTunes. Today, my guest is Brooklyn-based ceramics artist and sculptor Nick Newcomb. Nick's work has been exhibited in numerous galleries and museums, and he's worked and studied with renowned artists like Toshiko Takazeo. I probably just butchered that. I'm going to make you re-say that later. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie first, Regis Brody, William Hardy, and Christopher Spitzmiller. Uh, Nick produces a beautiful line of tableware, planters, lamps, and sculptures from his shared studio space in South Williamsburg. And I'm so excited to hear more about his work today, as well as his thoughts on the ceramics community, the ins and outs of running an arts business. Uh, so let's dive in first, but welcome for being here. Thank Thanks you. Here. So psyched to be here. So I want to start. We almost started this conversation before we started recording. Is <laughs> I'm calling you a ceramics artist because I've been yelled at online numerous times for saying the word ceramicist discuss yeah how do you yeah, feel yeah, about uh, this word i didn't come across the word ceramicist until like after after school and somebody's introduced i was working for tashiko takeizu and uh <laughs> they're like oh tashiko she's such a wonderful ceramicist and i was like what the hell is that word <laughs> and uh, i was like okay cool it sounds like a fancy way of saying potter and so um i've i've struggled with what am i blah 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 and I'm a potter. potter. I, you know, I work in clay. I like to sculpt. I like to make pots. And I try not to be too pretentious about it. I love the word potter. But yeah. I've also gotten in trouble for using that word. As if it doesn't elevate the art high enough. Which, right, right. And I guess there's something like highfalutin about the word ceramicist that potter sounds sort of humble. But to me, that fits the craft so yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Well... And then I've also noticed, especially in the last, say, 10, 15, 20 years, where people like to refer to themselves as, I'm an artist that works in paper. I'm an mm. artist that works in paint or steel or in, or clay. And so I get that people want to be an artist. They don't want to be lit- limited to a medium. I am committed to clay. So I make pots. That should be your tagline, Nick. <laughs> yeah. It should just be Nick, colon, committed to clay. Committed to clay. Yeah, it works for me. I've tried all sorts of mediums, and I probably will continue to integrate different things, but clay seems to be the foundation. I like that. I've, I'm not a big fan of the artist who works in dot, dot, dot sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's been an extension of that maker conversation right. that's been happening for a while, which I really thoroughly loved for a while and thought that it was a just really beautiful, inclusive, simple term to talk about things. And after a while, I was like, there's nothing wrong with specializing and, right, 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 right. and kind of owning that. But but there, it does seem to be that people who are working with clay, there's like these two camps of people who really want to elevate it to like a, a fine art status, which I'm, I love, but I don't feel the need to like put a different term on it if you're someone who exhibits versus someone who's just selling stuff from a studio. Exactly. And I want to do it all. I want to do that. Yeah. I want to, I think, you know, white cube galleries are fantastic locations for clay. 
I think roadside stands are great locations for clay. And, it, and that's what's so cool about the medium. Like, it fits everywhere. Yeah. And I think we'll have this conversation later. But I think there's a lot of like pricing and contextualization happening yes. there that is important for artists. And I do understand why that happens. But sometimes I think it's really frustrating because the work is exactly the same. And mm-hmm. I don't think that you need like a fancy word to justify why it's being at a gallery versus in a shop or something like that. Right. We'll get into more of that. Let's start back in the beginning. Okay. Um, so you were born and raised primarily in New York uh, between the Hudson Valley and Long Island, which to me are two very different parts of yeah. New York. Um, talk about, I want to know about your childhood, um, what you were interested in. Were you were you working with clay when you were a kid? Were you mm-hmm. interested in the arts? Um, I grew up kind of like uh, a very rural location. We moved around a lot, but it was always rural. And uh, my mom was really, uh, she was always home and she yeah. would have jobs here and there, but she's primarily um, uh, working or a mom. Yeah. That was her thing. Full-time mom. Full-time mom. And uh, so she was great about always having things going on, crafts. She had her own projects. She sold a lot of handmade things. Um, and so I learned that you can you can make things and sell it. And that's, yeah. that's totally cool. And it's super rewarding. And it's amazing that you can just go to the craft store. You can buy some fabric and you can sew it together and you can sell it. And people buy it and they love it. And then yeah. boom, boom. And Especially in that community. And the Hudson Valley is, I yeah. think, a particularly supportive community of people making things by hand and supporting totally. locals and that sort of deal. And I didn't know that was unique. I thought that was normal. <laughs> I thought that's what moms did. You know, they yeah. made all the curtains and everything. I was like, cool. That's my mom. And uh, and so my brother and I, we would just like fool around and, and make our own forts and make things that we could sell here and there. And so um, clay was just always something I knew that I would do. Uh, we, in the summer um, where some kids would go to camp or some kids would like have to go to summer school, which some of our friends had to do sometimes, we would get signed up for summer school art classes. So we would get driven to school like eight in the morning in the summer. Yeah. And we were like, this is weird because like all the kids that like didn't do their homework for here <laughs> but we're going to our class and, and it was great pots. yeah <laughs> and so we were making masks and pitch pots and jars and things like that and painting and so it was like it was always part of the, the norm it's like did you crafts. feel like those those skills came back to you when you first started doing this again or are those like too young to sort of bring back muscle memory uh that's a good question I don't know. I, I muscle memory, no. Maybe just kind of like the comfortable with material. It was just yeah. like no big deal. I wasn't afraid of like, oh, okay, let's fold this paper around or let's do this and that. Yeah. Well, I feel like particularly when you're talking about clay, that's to me an incredibly intimidating format to work in. And I think I have a lot of friends who are like in their 30s now who are like rediscovering a love of clay and right. taking classes at like you know, Granite Pottery House and uh-huh. the village. And, and I think it's so awesome. And I think people have waited because they're like terrified of how like temperamental or fragile it can seem or losing things in a kiln and that whole process. But I find that kind of fascinating. And I love the idea that like it, it is slightly temperamental and that you can lose something and, and yeah, I don't know. Were you intimidated at all getting back into that? Um, and that bit, I think it's just because good teachers are just like, eh, it broke. Cool. Make another (laughs) one. And that like, meanwhile, like we were as little kids on the verge of tears and just feel like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to fail. And they're like, no, don't worry about it. Like, I'll give you an A. You tried hard. I'll give you an A. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Mom's going to be pissed. And, uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, yeah, I think I've just learned to just go with it. And that's what I like about the medium. It's It's a constant reaction, constant struggle. 
and it gives you something and you give it back and you just react. Yeah. I love that sort of mutual relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, when you were going to go to school, you just you went to Skidmore and you majored in photography and ceramics. How did you choose Skidmore? And did you know from the beginning of school you were going to be a, an arts major? Yes. Uh, so I remember in high school just being like, I want to do arts. My brother before me was an art and business major. And so it, it was okay. Basically, the parents signed off on you're allowed to go to school and yeah. <laughs> major in art. And so I didn't have to deal with that whole kind of like is this okay? And, um, and so my folks are really supportive of like, let's find you a school where you yeah. can do what you want. And we looked at a lot of great schools, um, state schools, p- private schools, and they all seemed like, Oh, I can make this work. And yeah. then when we showed up at Skinmore's campus, it was like, Oh my gosh, this is it. This is yeah. it. And I can only imagine my poor parents where they're like, Oh, this is expensive. <laughs> and, but I didn't see price tags. I just saw like possibilities. Yeah. And I was just like, this is my fit. They had a Frisbee team and they were known for like doing things naked, yeah. like total hippie stuff. Such a hippie you know, I was like, this is what college is supposed to be. Yeah. And, um, the ceramic studio is just unbelievable world-class ceramic studio great program and yeah. so it was it uh, i love that it. hippies yeah. and great ceramics programs really follow each other <laughs> hand hand, yeah. i was a hippie in college and i had so many friends from skidmore and they were all that and then people from like app state and down in boone north carolina uh, which yes. like also great ultimate frisbee team great <laughs> ceramics program um so when you graduated with that degree in sort of photography and ceramics mm-hmm. what was your first job right out of the gate after college? um so i was very fortunate uh i went to a pre- uh, excuse me to apprentice with uh toshiko takeizu so she was um in her late 70s early 80s when i met her and she would every every year come up to skinmore and make something big and kind of demonstrate and give a lecture and she was from New Jersey, and she had retired from teaching at Princeton, and she had a fantastic career. And uh, and so she came up, and she would typically take one of the graduating seniors to be an apprentice. And yeah. she really liked how we were trained, and so it was a great fit. And so when I was kind of, like, tapped to take the position, I was like, no way. Like, <laughs> And I looked around the other seniors, I was like, we're all qualified. Like, seriously, why am, why am I doing this? And they're like, you're great. Do it. And I really struggled, which is so stupid because it was a no-brainer to like, yeah. do it. And my parents were great. They're like, consider it your grad school. Like, just do yeah. it. And it was the kind of thing where uh, I was dating my wife at the time. And yeah. I, she was still at school. And I was like, well, what do you think? Like, I want to be with you. <laughs> She's like, duh, just do it. Like, yeah. don't hang around town to, to be with me during my senior year. Yeah. Which was probably good for her, too, to have me out of there. <laughs> and uh, it was fantastic. It, it really launched me into a whole community, into yeah. understanding um, a genre of 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 like ceramics in general and how it fits in american culture and in the arts and all that it was fantastic what do you think was the most sort of valuable piece of either experience or knowledge that you took away from that the apprenticeship uh, or just your time with her yeah i think sometimes the things you take away are not actually about the craft right oh yeah there was no technique or anything that i learned other than just practicing 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 and just doing it it was more of a lifestyle it was more of like her studio was in her home. So I lived in her home and I lived with this 80 year old woman yeah. and like taking care of each other. She would cook for me and so I just would the two of you garden for her. And we would have like a visitor a week yeah. and I would, it would be like somebody in their fifties and I'd be like, someone's young. Here. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can relate to them. Yeah. And, uh, so we would have great conversations over, over lunch and dinner. And she, um, so she, I guess she taught me lifestyle and commitment. Like she was into it. She was not yeah. going to let relationships. She never got married, never had kids uh-huh. get in her way of her commitment to her craft. She was not going to let anything get in her way. And so she was just doing it. I think that's fascinating. I constantly struggle with this, like 
love and obsession with a particular breed of artist that lets nothing stand in the way, like Bill Cunningham mm-hmm. or like the documentary hero dreams of sushi. I was like, there's yes. a part of me that can identify with that complete maniacal obsession right. with what you do. But then there's the struggle of like, well, you want to have a personal life and you want to have a, a life outside right. of I want kids in uh, craft. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And even yeah. if you don't want any of that stuff, but like, there's gotta be a point in your life at which you like put the, you step away from the potter's wheel and do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, when you left that apprenticeship, did you kind of take on that way of thinking of like, oh, I'm going to have this super puritanical way of No, because I, I, I knew that, I mean, I grew up in a family where mom and dad were always around and brothers and sisters and cousins, grandparents were always part of the deal. And it was more what I consider balanced. Yeah. And so that's always what I wanted to. I wanted to be able to have kids and provide for them and share yeah. and all that. And uh, so I thought I thought what she did was really cool and I respect yeah. it. And sometimes I wonder if she she passed away a few years ago and if she saw what I was doing now, if she would be like, that's cool, but I don't really agree with it. Yeah. You know, like you're kind of too commercial or you're kind of like, why are you in the city and yeah. all this stuff? Or why do you spend so much time being social or whatever? And I'm really happy the way I am. So yeah. I think she would be down with that. I think that's uh, so, yeah. I like that you phrased it as like what you think of as balanced because I think there's so many different versions of that and mm-hmm. what works for some people doesn't work for other people and maybe she couldn't produce the work that she produces with your method but maybe you couldn't do what you do right. doing it the way she right. does. Right. So much to talk about there. Um, <laughs> we're <laughs> we going to take we're going to take a quick break cuz this show flies by so quickly. Uh, and when we get back we are going to talk more about work life balance and your idea of what's trendy with ceramics cool. right now. Blueprint is the original juice cleanse program to offer different levels of intensity depending on your needs and current diet. Designed to purify and detoxify, Blueprint Cleanse is made from the freshest 100% raw and USDA certified organic ingredients, cold pressed to retain nutrients and flavor. Blueprint also offers a line of organic juices, cold pressed and raw, in a variety of fruit and vegetable combinations and available in individual bottles. Blueprint Cleanse is available at Whole Foods Market and many other retailers across the U.S. To learn more about their line of organic cleanses, juices, and other products, visit them today at Blueprint.com or call them at 866-774-6831. That's 866-774-6831. Work hard, play hard. Cleanse, repeat. 
Hey, welcome back to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonnie, and today we're speaking with artist and so wait, ceramics <laughs> artist, <laughs> Sorry, Nick, Nick Newcomb. Um, and we were talking about work-life balance before the jump, but I want to talk about something a little bit different before we get back into that. I was looking through your bio and stuff online to prep for this, and I love that you've taught so much, um, not just ceramics, but photography as well. I, I really firmly feel like artists who take time to teach, even if it's just briefly, really kind of solidifies their aesthetic in a way that I don't see with other artists because I think it at least it seems like from the outside that it makes you kind of think about the things you actually believe in and care about because you have to distill that down to other people how has teaching in the past at least it sort of informed your work or the way you feel about what you do sure uh so coming out of school the apprenticeship that we were just talking about I was strictly a thrower I just worked in the potter's wheel I just threw pots I love pots throwing pots cups and bowls and everything and when I started to teach, I was teaching high school kids, and it was a very basic to advanced level. And so I was like, well, we have to teach everything. We can't just teach throwing on the wheel. And um, so I was really nervous going into it. So I gave myself like a week of like, okay, you need to go back into your memory and reteach yourself how to hand build, uh, which is just another technique. Uh, and in a way, you have to learn it so much that you can talk about it. And it's not just doing it. You don't just show it to them. You have yeah. to explain it to them, and you have to pinpoint what will make it easier for them to understand and so that opened up a world for me and i was like all of a sudden i was sculpting again and it it totally shifted how i think about clay uh so it was it was great it was really good and it um it got me to think more conceptually and start thinking about theory and to be able to talk about it keep it interesting for everybody and it was just not this is how you throw a bowl yeah I think that's so interesting. I think even in like the minimal amounts of teaching I've done or consulting one-on-one, like it really just makes you think about what you do. And like, I benefit so much from having to break down how I do what I do and teach it to other people because Mm -hmm. it just makes you refine the process and kind of streamline things. And I think it's such a valuable thing for artists to do. And I remember I have friends who are kind of struggling with whether or not they should teach and like, do it. You should completely do it. It's just so valuable. And especially I think you get so much out of talking to people who are just coming from a completely different generation Mm -hmm. or being informed by a completely different set of influences and infinitely valuable. Uh, So you're currently the managing director at Christopher Spitzmiller in addition to running your own business. Um, How and when did you decide to make the leap to start selling your own work? Uh, Great question. Um, I think if I had to pinpoint it, it was like around 2010 Moving to New York forced me to think about clay as a product mm-hmm. and like think about how people interact with clay in their homes. And, and it's not just about making big things because everybody has a small apartment. And so I was like, okay, I want to come up with a product, package it, and really think about what that means because I'm getting older and I want to make a business out of mm-hmm. this. And uh, so I came up with a few ideas. And it was working with Chris really kind of helped me think about where things land. I used to think about ceramics as like you make a piece and it's one of a kind and it's a piece of art. And who cares where it's going to end up? It's not your problem. You, you know, it should be in a beautiful white gallery with nothing else around. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's cool. But let's really, like, think about this. And people are going to integrate it into their home. And so let's think about the home and what kind of home do I want to sit on? What kind of table do I want to sit on? What kind of shelf is it going to sit on? And so I started making pieces, thinking about something bigger than the piece, thinking yeah. about the bigger picture. And uh, so I was able to think about product a little bit better. And... Um, you know, I really like working for Chris. It's a fantastic experience. I like working for people. I learn a ton. But long run, I want to work for myself. Yeah. And Chris knows that. And it's no, you know, it's no secret. And he's been really supportive of me doing my own work. And um, so I, I would say the last two, three years have been me kind of like ramping up. And in the last year is when I opened up the studio and really kind of the website went live and everything's for sale, yada, yada. And there's collections and I can repeat things. And so 
So, and you're sharing a studio space in South Williamsburg. How mm-hmm. did that situation happen? And what is it like working in the same space with other people who do yeah. what you do? I was kind of forced in the position in a good <laughs> way um, where I was running a studio in Chelsea, a community studio, and um, I was kind of done teaching. It was draining me really hard, and I was just repeating myself a lot. So I was like, let's get a new teacher in here and put some energy into it. And uh, But I still want to use space because it's a great way to make things. Obviously, I need space to work, and they were great to let me stick around for a bit, and it got to the point where we all outgrew each other, and it was like, it's time time to go yeah and so i was like okay fine i'm just gonna find a space and i started searching and there are a lot of great ways to do that and we could talk about that forever and um and i started talking to people about it and a gentleman named roy hamilton who used to work for chris he's an older gentleman who was kind of like in a retirement stage of his career was like well i want to find a space to work too and i don't want to work in a community studio where i have to share and he's like i want my own space and i was like mm-hmm. me too and then i talked to another guy i work with and uh, Justin, um, who wants to make tiles and he's like, well, I'm looking for a space too. And so we were like, well, let's do it. And so <laughs> we all have our own strengths. Um, Justin's fantastic at building out things and he has great construction background. And Roy has experience with, uh, maybe how to manage a business financially because <laughs> he's been doing it for so long. And I was kind of more of an administrator where I can like get on the internet and I can call people and set yeah. up the, the meetings. And, um, and so we found a woodworker that was also looking for a space and we, it just kind of fell in place yeah but it was a lot of pushing like okay what's next how you know yeah. we got a few new space new space and it's all about finding a compromise where we are um we can all get there we all mm-hmm. live in different parts of the city and so south williamsburg was just like the best location between buses and trains yeah yeah that's good yeah how is it well and are you guys actually in the studio at the same time or are you setting up hours here di- different it's um whenever we can they're uh, Justin and I are primarily at night, some weekends, and Roy works a lot during the day, and um, it works out really well. Our kiln needs rotating. It just has mm. been very organic, and we just roll with it, and we have a schedule, and as we need more, we'll get another kiln, and, you know, as, as that works out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's talk about collaboration a little bit, because yes. that always makes me think about that um, in two different ways. First, the value of, or whether or not this is valuable to you, I don't know, but we'll find out, um, being in the same space with other people who do vaguely what you do right um and then i want to talk a little bit about collaboration in terms of actually producing things with other people how do you feel about both of those situations they're two different things yeah they're very different (laughs) Um, when we're working the same medium it it's a very healthy competition Mm -hmm. which i missed when i left school like i had my buddies um uh hugh carroll uh and uh, ben eberly who we just made so much work together late night playing beer pong in the studio in school <laughs> and all sorts of crazy things. But we had a healthy competition. Where we were like, oh, well, I can make that bigger. I can yeah. do that better. And it was great. And so I missed that completely. Mm-hmm. So that is really great to have each other. And we talk technique and we talk materials and we talk chemistry. And so we need that. I need that. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to collaboration for creating a product, I really prefer working with people that don't work in clay. Um, so like right now I'm working with a textile designer in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and she has fantastic designs and some ceramics background, but I'm the potter. She's the mm-hmm. designer, textile designer. And so she's working on services. I'm working on shapes and, uh, it's, it's easier to draw the line. Yeah. Um, you know, when it comes to like figuring out the financial thing, that's a whole nother story, but yeah. like, you just got to put your business hat on and do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I recommend people collaborating. 
it's the best way to grow. It's the best way to see what else is out there, but do it with somebody in a different medium. I think it's super valuable to learn from some, even somebody in a completely different medium that's not even artistic. I mm-hmm. think to be able to collaborate with people who do something completely different is so valuable because they're coming at the business from a different angle. They're coming at sort of the idea of production and promotion from a very different angle. I think it's so, it's, I love working with people who are like in food or politics yeah. or people who are like running things about lifestyle stuff that's not design based because I think they really kind of give you a chance to step outside of what you do and look at it a little bit differently. Yeah, definitely. And they have a different audience. Like, I mean, we're yeah. all trying to like expand our audience. So um, I bring my audience, they bring their audience and yeah. it, we double our audience. <laughs> <laughs> Two audiences. Um, let's talk about trends because this is my favorite thing to talk about. Yeah. And I think I'm going to put out what I'm seeing right now and then I want to get your opinion on it and what you think. Um, <laughs> I'm, I think a year ago, I was super into and fascinated what to me seems like this is I'm going to get in so much trouble for using this word, but what looks like an almost like a juvenile style where it's Mm -hmm. like a lot of people, there's a lot of like really simple sort of sketch marks on things, lots of little simple shapes and really kind of like simple dip dye glazes happening and things that to me are great because they make me look at that and go, I could do that. And Mm -hmm. I actually can't do that, but (laughs) it makes me think like I'd like to take a class because this looks simple and I'd like to try that. Then there's stuff that like Francis Palmer does. And I'm like, right. I could never do that. So this sort of new movement of things that are super simple that like Stephen Allen stocks like no one's business. Right. Um, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I could learn how to do that pretty quickly. Um, and it's everywhere. And I feel like I can't walk into a home store without seeing like some very simple, what feels almost like quickly made yes. type of thing. What do you right. think of that look that's happening right now? It's really interesting. I, um, you know, to hear you talk about it, the first thing that pops to mind is that it connects everyone with it very Mm -hmm. quickly when you think like i can make that or i did make that when i was in school um and i don't mean that as an insult i really mean that as a like sometimes when i see really simple things and things that look simple i think like oh that's great because it actually makes me want to try them right and it creates this great connection where Mm -hmm. you're one step closer to the maker someone just like me or that has an interest as i do in making handmade things and and crafting and whatnot you know i think that's cool i definitely see that i don't know the staying power of that though um, I, you know, when I, when I look at st- like a chair or a piece of furniture or something that's made by hand, I want to know it's made by a master. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to sense that there are 30, 40 years that they put into like learning the craft. Yeah. Um, and, but then again, you know, this is a trend. I don't know. Trends are funny because some of them are very quick and some of them are a lot longer. And like, and some of them become what is what you know as vintage. When we look mm-hmm. at mid-century trends, it's something we now love. And so, I think that yeah. is all about nostalgia. And so, some of what you're talking about is a nostalgia for when I was in camp and I yeah. made things with smiley faces on it. And um, some of them, I saw this one last night on Instagram, which is a fantastic mm-hmm. way to do research yeah. and to connect and create community. Uh, this gentleman here in Brooklyn, uh, Nichols, I believe is his last name, had these hilarious pots that had smiley faces on them. <laughs> and so they kind of look like those face jugs or reference. Oh, so there's like a cultural yeah, reference yeah, yeah. to these like Appalachian face jugs. But they have such a great sense of humor. So I'm like, that's hilarious. I love it. Yeah. I think there's a great place for that. Staying power, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I don't know how long someone could live with that in their house. Like it it, it might sit, suit a certain time in their life. But yeah. It's a tricky thing, and it's just like whatever you want to make, you make. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I often think about the staying power of the actual 
artists, like their interest in making that work? Because sometimes when the work is so simple and it's someone that's been doing it for like a year and mm-hmm. it's so on trend, I wonder like, will that artist actually still be doing ceramics in two years right. or will they have moved on to what right now everyone's doing is like, they'll turn that into a textile pattern. Like right. they're just going to make that on spoon flour right. and turn right. that design into something else. that's like quick and simple and mobile. And in one sense, like, that's fine, I guess. Like that's kind of the the trajectory of like a contemporary surface artist these mm-hmm. days is like maybe they just keep moving from medium to medium and that's completely fine. But then there's a part of me that associates a craft, particularly clay, with somebody who's like so devoted and mm-hmm. into this particular medium. And I think it's something that I don't I don't like seeing like tr- the transient nature of some sort of younger potters. Yeah, yeah. And I like I get really excited for them like, "Oh, you're doing it. You're making something. Yeah. You're selling it. People are picking up. I think that's great." And um and I just want to see what's next. Mm-hmm. You know, when it's like a kind of like a punchline kind of design, um I think that's great. There's punchlines are fantastic cuz they're quick and easy and mm-hmm. people can move on. But then it's just like what's next? I want more. Yeah. Whereas like then some of the other pieces you see out there that you live with and they grow on you yeah. and you're just like at first you're like oh, I kind of like it and then after like three years you're like it's my favorite piece yeah like that's kind of where I want to fall yeah and I like I like if somebody has like a really strong aesthetic that's like firmly their own and then I like if somebody does classics as well and then I think there's there's value in both of those but I think when I see somebody like changing styles really frequently and kind of keeping up with trends so closely it makes me worried about mm-hmm. the longevity of that um but I don't know. Maybe that's okay. I just I'd like yeah. to see Stephen Allen stock some slightly different ceramics. <laughs> is all I'm really saying. This word. Cool. Um, <laughs> uh, so let's let's talk about your work a little a little bit before sure. we head out. Um, let's talk about well. You gave a, you gave us two camp mugs, which I'm obsessed with. Um, if you're listening and you need new mugs, Nick's camp <laughs> mugs are beautiful. And I love that they look like when I got them in the mail and opened, I thought they were going to be really heavy, but they're mm-hmm. like the lightest mm-hmm. things ever. And they're so beautiful and simple. And you can say without a doubt, those are things you're going to have for years and years and years because mm-hmm. they're super classic. Um, that collection and your most recent ones, what's sort of the inspiration behind a lot of that? That collection in particular was, um, you know, looking... It's funny. It's actually responding to the trends that we were just speaking of um, and seeing a nostalgia for and also, yeah, nostalgia for like summer getaway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, for one, can sometimes get what what people I think are calling like Instagram post envy, <laughs> where where I was seeing people post like these beautiful pictures of like out in the country, mm-hmm. like jumping in a lake and eating fresh tomatoes out of the garden. And I was like, yes, that's exactly what I want to be doing right now. And I'm like in this dirty neighborhood where my studio is. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, you know, I wanted to play with that a little bit, but I also like the handmade and I like simplicity. Mm-hmm. And I've been looking a lot of like how I can make simple designs. Yeah. And so the whole kind of Hudson Valley line that started with the Farm Bowl a few years ago, where it's a flat bottom, straight walls, um, was about simplicity. Mm-hmm. And so then the, the mug, I wanted to kind of give it a little bit of color. So I threw a little band of color on the rim. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started to think about like, where did I see this before? Where's this coming from? And the enamel wear camp, camp wear is yeah. where I see it a lot. And it's, and there are a lot of people that are also feeling the need to do the same thing. And I'm yeah. starting to like, as I dig around, I'm like, Oh, someone, somebody else is doing it. And I like how they're doing it. Yeah. And so I think that's cool. And I think that's what happens with certain looks, certainly in products of like all of a sudden you get people all over the country, all over the world doing mm-hmm. a similar thing. And you're yeah. like, that's weird. Um, the, the funny part is on Instagram and on Facebook and all the great social media outlets is you get to see it all happen live. Yeah. 
and it's like, like so like when I, when I make something, like I was working on some sculptures last week, I was like, I need to take a picture of this, of this and put it out there so people know that <laughs> this is when I did it. It'll like time date it. Yeah. And it's like, uh, this is when I started this thing, just in case. And like something valuable about that. Too. And that's, I feel like people like me, have, we should be tracking this because it's interesting to see how trends like that happen because there's always honestly there's just like one asshole artist will come mm. out and be like i created that trend oh my gosh and i would love to be able to just instagram would be this really valuable tool yes. to be like actually, actually like 30 of you were doing yeah. that at the exact same time yeah. and i think there's such an issue with with that sort of like who was the original inspiration and when it comes to stuff like camp or sort of classic americana like mm-hmm. that, that stuff is just out there and like it's in collective yes. energy that yes kind of gets pulled up and it's like if you see it at west elm obviously everybody right. else is thinking the same <laughs> well, thing. that'll happen in six months yeah, yeah. yeah. or probably already happened but and i don't I don't actually mind that sort of, I'm, I love that sort of camp nostalgia that's been happening for like a couple of years now in a, mm-hmm. in a pretty nice way. But I like seeing it translated to handmade work. I hate when it gets translated into like a two dimensional representation of that, of like mm-hmm. just a ripped off like Hudson Bay blanket right. print that gets like thrown on a t-shirt or right. something like that. And I'm like, well, it's fine if you in, are informed by that and pull that into something. But I think when people are just taking like old stock images of like tennis rackets crossed over mm-hmm. and just like, you know, screen printing Slapping them on stuff, that's, that's a, like the worst possible interpretation yes. of a trend to me. Like, that's cringeworthy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, Super. I could go on about that. <laughs> My, when <laughs> I first moved, to, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, we're almost out of time, so I want to talk a little bit about. I know, but we'll come back, Nick. You live yes. in Brooklyn. We'll have an episode too. More pizza. Um, I want to talk about the, the last question I ask everybody is about like the pie in the sky project that yeah. you'd like to work on. What's sort of like the big dream thing you'd love to do at some point? Sure. Um, yeah, this kind of came out of a conversation. So I have a group I created called the Idea Club. Um, it's called the idea yeah, club. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> and uh, so it's a it's like minded people that are creative in different mediums, and we meet. We try to meet once a month, but it's it, realistically it's like twice a year. Yeah. But it's a it's a creative kind of critique group, and so we went around the room, and we're like, "What do you want to do?" And somebody's a furniture maker, and somebody does uh, photography, and somebody does marketing, and whatever. And so it was my turn. And I was like, "Okay, I'm going to just be completely honest with this yeah. great group of people and get feedback." And it, the conversation, it was just a monologue. It was just like, I want to create a, like a ceramics, obviously a business, uh, that I can obviously design my own work, my own line. But I, want, I really want to work with people that have ideas. And uh, maybe like almost as an incubator. I was like, yeah. hey, I'm right out of school. I got this idea, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, let's sit down. Let's build you a business. Like we're going to run it for you. We're going to train you on to run a business. Mm-hmm. We're going to, we're going to, you know, if you want to be the maker, you be the maker. We'll yeah. run the business. You want to be the businessman. We'll figure out how to be the maker and you be the businessman or woman. And it, we'll have an exit plan, three, five years. Uh, we'll review and it's time for you to go out on your on your own, yeah. flap your own wings, that sort of thing, and we'll be happy about it and we'll all profit. Yeah. That's I think big pie in the sky. And obviously a studio here in New York and then yeah. Bay Area. Bay Area. Yeah, yeah. Two studios. All right. Yeah. All right. Episode two, we're talking <laughs> okay, about cool. that. Stay here. I don't everyone I think everyone's coming this direction. Nick. Yes. Stay, stay okay. <laughs> Not Los Angeles, right? <laughs> oh no, 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 no. <laughs> That's a whole other third show. Yeah. Um, all right. Before we go, cool. uh, if you want to check out Nick's work or pick up anything online, you can visit him at nicholasnewcomb.com. Thanks for being here. And Thank we'll you. see you next Thursday. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network.
You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.